Thank you, Alvin. When I started this Galatian series uh, back in March of 2021, <clears throat> I really intended to do it in six messages, meaning one message for every chapter in the book of Galatians. Well, this is now number nine, <laughs> and um, somehow, uh, for some reason, I got stuck in chapter five. And so uh, um, this is really the fourth message from chapter five. Um, and uh, the, the last time I, I preached, which was in October 24th, I, I gave exposition on the, uh, the works of the flesh as found in Galatians chapter five verses 16 through 21, where Paul enumerates 17 sins which are the product of the flesh. Not necessarily meaning the body, but the, the body of sin, the flesh, uh, that uh, is part of uh, uh, the, uh, uh, our makeup. Uh, as fallen creatures. Well, he, he lists that, he, he ends that list by saying, and such like, which indicates that Paul didn't exhaust the way the flesh expresses itself in those 17 things that he mentions. But this morning, I'm going to speak to you about the fruit of the Spirit found in verses 22 and 23. However, I am going to, to read from verses 16 through 26 so that we get the context of, uh, of the message I'm going to bring to you this morning. So reading from Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That makes that very, very sobering and very serious. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lusts and, and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. I'm going to introduce uh, this message by taking a look at a, a very classic diagram that uh, portrays how we are made and how we are created by God. I recognize as I uh, uh, look at this diagram that uh, every diagram is limited in what it can portray, and so it must be kept in balance. It doesn't say everything about the subject. Okay, so keep that in mind. Nevertheless, uh, I feel like for me, at least this morning, and the text that I'm looking at, that this can uh, be useful, a useful teaching tool for us to look at this morning. Uh, and as, as you notice, the, the, the diagram, uh, it's not original with me, it's been used often, um, that man is created as a trifold being. Um, we're made in the image of God, and at least this is one way in which we are made in the image of God. God is a trifold, is a trinity. And, uh, and we are a trifold being uh, in our makeup. But this concept of uh, body, soul, and spirit uh, is taken from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where it says, where Paul said, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Body, soul, and spirit. So as human beings, we are made up, we're constituted as having three parts. These three parts are very integrated, however. We keep that in mind. Um, and, uh, but we are spirit. We are spirit, uh, and this can be referred to as our innermost being. In John 7, verses 31 through 38, Jesus invited people to come and drink of that he is the water of life, and he who believes in him shall, uh, you know, out of his innermost belly, shall flow rivers of living water. Now, Wines, in his, in, in his dictionary of New Testament words, says that this phrase, his innermost belly, really means his innermost being. And so this is the, this, the spirit part of man is our innermost being. But deep down inside, in a sense, invisible part of us, that is called spirit, 
it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how we're made? Well, the second part is, is, is uh, soul. And, um, and this can be thought of as our uh, inner man, our inner man, our inner being. Not the innermost being, but the inner man. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 3.16 says, uh, talks, about, talks about being strengthened by faith in the inner man. So I think the inner man really reflects this uh, intermediate area, which is uh, the soul. And of course, uh, it's often been said, and I think it's quite accurate, that this inner, inner man uh, is, uh, can be, is the, uh, contains, uh, can, is made up of our mind, will, and emotions. Then, of course, we have the body, the, uh, the physical part of us. Um, and uh, I don't know, so this is inner man, uh, this is innermost being, this is inner man, and this must be the outer man. If you wanna, it sort of comes in sequence. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, Though our outward man perish, and it's no doubt that he's speaking of the body. So this is the outward man, uh, the body. The outward man perish. Uh, the, so yes, that's the body. Well, so using this diagram, um, what is the condition of the man or woman outside of Christ? And I mean one who is a sinner, who is lost in his sins, who's, who's never been born again. What is the condition of a man who is lost? Condition of, uh, as a sinner. Well, as I understand uh, what Scripture says, this, uh, this inner, innermost part of me is dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Um, Spiritually dead. God said to Adam, even before he created Eve, he talked to him about the uh, tree of knowledge, good and evil. And he said, uh, he, he said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall die. Now what died? Wasn't his body Necessarily, it wasn't his soul. Still had mind, will, and emotions. So it, it must have been this inner part of him. He became spiritually dead in his trespass sin. Um,
But that spiritual death, I, I want you to, to, to underscore this, that, that that spiritual death is not a state of inertia. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that it's not active. There's not something acting in there. It's not inertia. We think of death as when someone is not active anymore, right? Obvious. But this death is not a state of inertia. It is, uh, uh, this state of death is an active, dynamic, tyrannical, spiritual force that has taken over the very center of a man's being. That causes, yes, this causes a man and a woman to live and act in a certain way. And so when Paul says the, the works of the flesh, he's talking about this, what comes out of here, the death of the spirit penetrates the, the will, the soul, the emotions, and the body and expresses itself in powerful and dynamic ways that are, that are sinful. This spiritual death force, as I have indicated earlier, can also be referred to as the body of sin, which Romans 6, 6 talks about, and uh, acts upon the mind, will, and emotions, and will produce the lust of the flesh, as per Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, where he identifies 17 products that come out of the... Uh, flesh. Now, using this same diagram, I'll leave that there for now. Using this same diagram, let me ask you this. What happens? What happens when a believer um, when, what happens when a man or woman repents and by faith embraces the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for his sins? What happens? Well, we understand, and of course, Back, you know, both from the book of Romans in a powerful way, as well as here in the early part of uh, Galatians, in the book of Galatians as well, is that uh, 
he is he and or she is justified is made right with God. It's the simplest way of explaining that, as I've repeated to you many, many times. <laughs> is made right with God. And may I say, at that same time, now, most theological books and commentaries that you read today will disagree with me because they believe in forensic justification. But I don't believe in merely forensic justification. I believe that the moment a man or woman is made right with God, he, he uh, is justified and uh, he becomes gloriously alive on the innermost being of, his, of himself or herself. Something dynamic happens there. And he is, as it says in, in Romans chapter 5, it actually says that, it says, he is made righteous. There you have it. <laughs> He's made righteous. Not only accounted as righteous before God, but he is made. Something happens. Some dynamic takes place. That he is now made righteous. And that starts right here. As I, as I would understand it, he is at that moment, he is baptized with the Holy Spirit of God, which means that the Holy Spirit of God comes into his spirit and quickens <laughs> that innermost being. the very core of his being. The Holy Spirit indwells and infuses himself with, the, with my spirit, and the result is that the, is, is the, the life of God <laughs> begins to be experienced in the innermost being right here. And he, he becomes spiritually alive. And, and, and through the activity of the Holy Spirit infusing life into my spirit, life takes place. I, I, uh, I, I'm using green as a symbol of life. Life begins to take place. And, and that, that life begins to flow out into my will, my soul, emotions, and even affects the body.
and brings forth the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I, as per Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. I, I want to ask you another question here. So what happens when a believer falls away? What happens when a believer loses his salvation? Backslides, or different names for it. The other Sunday, Danny said it straight out. <laughs> and I, I, I haven't heard it said straight out like that for some time. He said, we can lose our salvation. You believe that? I do. Oh, I know. I, you know, he didn't. He didn't get that from John MacArthur or Chuck Swindoll or, or any other of our evangelical Protestant writings that are so proliferate in our midst these days. But it is in the book. You know that. <laughs> I just want to reinforce that. Paul makes it rather plain in the first part of Galatians 5 that it is possible to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage after having been freed in Christ. That's verse 1 of chapter 5. And in verse 4, Paul is quite forceful in declaring that those who turn from trusting in Christ for their salvation to trusting in their keeping of the law, <coughs> as the Galatians were doing, they were depending on the law as a means of salvation. They are, he says in verse 4, fallen from grace. There you have it. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I feel very strong about it. I feel very forceful about this, and I, I, I hope I'm not turning you off <laughs> with, uh, with how I'm sharing this. I, fallen from grace. What does that mean? <laughs> well, our, our Protestant friends would say you, you, lose your relation, you lose your relationship, but you don't lose your justification. That is eternal. So what happens, I asked you? Well, you know what I think happens? That begins to take place again. Spiritual death will again begin to permeate our innermost being. And the works of the flesh will again begin to manifest themselves in our lives. The scary thing about this, according to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, 
is that this state, this state, that of a backslidden believer is worse than the first state when he was dead in trespasses and sins. And so uh, that's why I say this becomes rather serious and, and um, a bit scary. But I'm going to leave that. So I want to uh, spend uh, the remaining of my time this morning with you. I, I just wanted to give you that overall view, that overall picture. Oh, by the way, I added something here. The world is outside here. And uh, you know that the non-Christian gets, gets hit from two directions. He gets hit from here, and he gets hit from here. Because John, John said in John 4, he said, all that is in the world is what? Huh? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so a, a, a non-believer one who is dead in trespass and sins gets hit from two directions. <laughs> I mean, he has no chance. <laughs> Those who are made right with God also get hit, continue to get hit from here. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. <laughs> Renewing your mind. And Jesus said in his prayer to, uh, with his disciples in John 17, I am not of the world even as they are not of the world. <laughs> that doesn't mean you don't get hit. And we do get hit. Well, um, so the fruit of the Spirit is, let me just hone in on verses 22 and 23 here, which is the actual fruit of the Spirit itself. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Uh, the first thing I want to say about this before I define, uh, briefly define the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, this morning is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is not contrived goodness. You know what I mean? The fruit of the Spirit is not contrived goodness. Saying that in a different way. Spirit fruit is not produced by attempting to produce spirit fruit. Okay. So one morning you wake up to face the fact that you are not a very loving person. Ever, ever been there? <laughs> I have. Ask my wife. And so 
And so you say to yourself, I'm really going to work on being a more loving person. Does that, does that work? Or you become aware that you are not a very joyful Christian. So you say to yourself, I'm going to act like I'm happy, even though I'm not, <laughs> or whatever. You know? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to produce the, the fruit of the Spirit called joy in my life. Uh, that's what I mean by the fruit of the Spirit is not contrived goodness. <clears throat> it is referred to as the fruit of something, okay? Capital S, Spirit. <laughs> The fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Because the, 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 spirit, the spirit fruit is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So it's important that we know what it means to walk in the Spirit, as per verse 16. Romans 8.1.4 refers to this as walking after the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and minding the Spirit. Furthermore, Ephesians 4.30 admonishes us, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us to quench not the Spirit. Furthermore, Ephesians 5.18 reminds us that we need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. And, and the exact translation of that is be being filled with the, of the Spirit. And I'm aware of the fact that most of us, like me, are sort of a leaky cup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Our cups leak. And the only way to keep a leaky, a leaky cup full is by keeping it under the spigot, turned full force, okay? <laughs> I find that these are important imperatives. This is an important imperative that we need to understand about, about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a contrived goodness. It's by... Uh, giving ourselves over to the leading of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and minding the Spirit, that it, it, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us. Also remember, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's a powerful statement. And by letting his word abide in us, verse 7 of, of of uh, John 17, 15, and by keeping his commandments, verse 10, Jesus said, in that way you are abiding in me, for one thing. And another thing is, the key to a branch bearing much fruit, according to Jesus, in John 15, 1, 2, rather, is that... Um, we must allow God the Father to purge us, to prune us, in other words, uh, according to Jesus. Now, having said all of that, uh, let me attempt to 
at least I'll start, okay? <laughs> Looking at the, the fruit, a closer look at the fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 and 23. I, I, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, 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 get, I get caught up in so many what I think are important things to say that I, I might not even get to that. Um, talk to Ivan about that later, what I should do about that. But a closer look at the fruit of the Spirit, some, you know, here are a few general observations about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and some of this I gleaned, is not original with me, I gleaned it from Wycliffe Bible Commentary. The, uh, the fruit of the Spirit stands in contrast to the works of the flesh here. That is obvious. Fruit instead of works. He doesn't call it the, work, the good works, he calls it fruit instead of works. The fruit of the Spirit are virtues altogether attractive and desirable in place of, instead of, the ugly things that the lust of the flesh produces. The other thing you want to notice is that fruit is used in the singular, uh, which emphasizes the unity and the coherence of the life of the spirit opposed to the destructive nature of the works of the flesh. And also, the fruit of the spirit ultimately reminds us of the person of Christ, doesn't it? in whom all of these spiritual qualities are seen in their perfection. And the other observation I would make, and this is the third one, you probably lost track of that, uh, the, the, is that the fruit of the Spirit seems to come in clusters. Okay. of three virtues in each cluster. And, uh, and so I, so that's the way I'm, I'm approaching this. So cluster number one is uh, love, joy, Peace. This first cluster of fruit of the Spirit consists of three character qualities that deeply enrich our own lives and, and causes our lives to be attractive to those around us. Love, joy, peace. Aren't those attractive qualities in the life of your fellow believer that just draw you to him, makes you want to be around him, makes you appreciate him or her? This is a, this is a, a wonderful cluster. <laughs> and, and I think they sort of fit together. They're, they're qualities of that... Uh, that are produced in us by allowing the life of God through the Holy Spirit 
penetrate our mind, will, and emotions, and even our physical bodies. And of course, we know, according to from, from 1 Corinthians 13, and that the primary virtue uh, is love. Um, and is essential, love is essential to all the other virtues or fruit mentioned. In other words, joy, in a sense, is love expressing itself, is, is love expressing itself in a jubilant or a joyous manner. <laughs> Peace is love and repose. <coughs> love, joy, peace, the first cluster. And the greatest of these is love. If I could borrow 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul put it in relation to faith, well, uh, love, hope, and faith, yes. The greatest of these is love. I, I think the same thing could be said of this. In fact, I think that love is the greatest of all the rest of the nine virtues. <laughs> because without love, all of these other virtues become sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. If you want to know what love is, Go back and, and listen to Dave's sermon several, uh, what, a month or two ago when he preached on 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm not trying, going to try to duplicate that, but he did an excellent job on that. So yes, the first cluster is love, joy, peace. And the greatest of these is love. And joy is, in reality, Jesus' joy produced in us by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus said in John 15, 11, when he said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This he said right after he said, if you keep my commandments. You shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment, and I have abode in his love. See how it all works together? Peace is also none other than Jesus' peace. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth and give, give I unto you. <coughs> let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace is really Jesus' peace. The, the peace of Jesus that, that the Holy Spirit, uh, by dwelling in us, uh, puts forth through the mind, will, and emotions in the body. 
I also believe that this peace consists of inward repose as well as, as harmonious relationships with others. This, of course, stands in contrast to the works of the flesh. Verse 15, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, etc. They repel people from us. Love, joy, peace draws people to us <coughs> in fellowship one with another. If I keep on, I'll lose you. So I'm going to quit right there and uh, somehow, somehow pick up on, on the other two clusters some other time. But uh, God bless you with that first cluster. Love, joy, peace. Let's stand. Lord, I want to thank you for this passage that reminds us of how you want to express yourself through the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Especially, I pray, Lord, that you will impress upon us this morning with the importance of this, this primary cluster of spirit fruit, love, joy, and peace. I pray that uh, somehow we could go from here throughout the next week and bring forth much fruit. Thank you. Bless us to that end. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.